is Color Speak, unveiling truth for light. Hi, I'm your host, Janet Huxley, author J.M. Huxley. Welcome to this podcast to unveil truth and uplift you. Here you will find truth talk for relevance restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons. Here we will unveil truth for color. Light is where you'll find truth, and truth is where you'll find color. Color is where you'll find God. A God that's still sending us signs of His devotion to us. He's still communicating with us, sending us messages, demonstrations of His love for us. He's still pursuing us, whether we realize it or not. And this is a place for talking about it, for bringing examples into the light to encourage one another for exposing our miracles for celebration and sharing our supernatural stories. Here we are also sharing the everyday too, the ways in which our God is at work for us. The truth of who we are in God is an exciting place to be. It's a place where we can be confident, joyful, and expectant. It's also a place where we may affirm one another's relevance. We are designed to help one another achieve our sacred purpose and to tell our stories. My next guest is someone who tells great stories. Like I've said here before, as an author, I'm in a terrific position to meet other authors. So I have a lot of great storytelling friends. And Lisa is one of them. She is a homeschooling mom and an award winning author. Even with the kids she's teaching at home, she somehow managed to find the time to write a series of science fiction books called The Time Tree Chronicles. She wrote two in one year this last year, 2020. And get this, they are really, really good. So far, she's won two awards two years in a row for the first two books in the series, the Author Elite Awards in Science Fiction in 2019 and 2020. I became friends with Lisa last year, and I know her to be funny, spunky, talented, exciting, and head over heels in love with Jesus. I'll let her tell you some more about herself now. I'll just stop right there. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Janet. So good to be here. I'm really happy to have you here. You know I've been looking forward to it. Oh, me too. Tell me a little bit more about you. Oh, my goodness. Well, I... uh... It's like, where to start? What is interesting about me? I don't know. I think you said all the interesting parts, especially oh, the head over heels love with Jesus part. Um, I do. I have three kids. Like you said, I am homeschooling three kids. I have a sophomore in high school who's about to get her driver's Ooh. license. And, you know, some people are like, oh, heaven help us all. But actually, she's a really <laughs> good driver. So I'm not worried about it. That's awesome. Um, and then I have an almost 14 year old girl and she is amazing. She's got one of those deep minds that I just keep thinking some someday she's going to quit surprising me, and she never does. I've never once come close to figuring her out, which I love. And then I, I have a nine-year-old son as well who's like a little miniature of his dad. He is constantly building, d- designing and building Lego airplanes and talking about how he's going to fly someday just like his dad. And That's terrific. Oh, so, yeah. And I'm married to an airline pilot who is, um, he, loves, he loves his work. He loves to run. He loves to fly. And uh, when he's not flying, he's thinking about flying. <laughs> so 
That's great. I have a son like that. He didn't quite make it as far as that. He's still, he's 26. He still holds on to that dream. He ended up as a conductor and then an engineer for Union Pacific. And he got that job right out of college. So he was actually 19 when he was hired. Wow. And so he he's it's been okay for him. But I think his aspirations are to fly. I understand that that bug really bit him. And yet he hasn't made it happen yet. So I can sort of understand where your husband's coming from. Well, he's only 26. So and you know, there's there's still a huge pilot shortage. And there are some airlines that will hire you off the street and train you from the beginning. So he should definitely not give up. That's good to know. I'm sure he would love to hear that. It's his dream. And you know, as we (laughs) say, when God puts something on your heart, you need to probably follow it. Yeah, and much like the author dream, you definitely have to be prepared for some bumps <laughs> to <laughs> start with because the the pilot dream is definitely uh it's it's definitely lean when you start, but it always pays sure. off very nicely, so. Yeah. You have to love it. You have to love it. Yeah. Well, and speaking of the author thing and having to love it, you're <laughs> really good at what you do. Did you have those bumps you were talking about? How was it for you? Uh, well, first thank you. My goodness, that's so sweet. Um, yeah, I did. Uh, honestly, I wanted. I knew I wanted to write when I was nine, and then oh, no. I feel like God sort of wrapped that dream up into a, a tight little burrito for me, and He put a timer on it <laughs> that went off thirty years later. So there, <laughs> I've never heard anyone describe it that way. That's that's great. Like <laughs> a nice little burrito, pictures. He wrapped it up for you. <laughs> he did, and then he, he set the oven timer for thirty years, and then it was it was time to take it out and look at it again. But, you know, honestly, we go through seasons in life and I, there was no way I could have done the author thing when I had little tiny kids in diapers and, you know, and honestly, there, there are certain things you can do, um, but you can't do well if you're, if you're lying to yourself. (laughs) And so that was, that was definitely me. So when I was younger, I thought, well, poetry and short stories are my thing because I have such a short attention span was the lie I was telling myself. And then as I got older, I, I tried to write the story. It's a great novel. And, you know, I kept, I'd get three chapters in and I'd write myself into a corner and thought, oh, I'm just not a finisher. That was the next lie I told myself. I just don't finish things. And then I finally thought, you know what? I'm just going to do this. So I gritted my teeth and I buckled down and I had an idea that, A, I got it from a 12-year-old because that's how old my oldest daughter was at the time. <laughs> Never, ever, yeah. uh, you know, doubt the, the ability of a 12-year-old to rescue sure. a plot. So you authors out there, if you get writer's block, go talk to a 12-year-old. They're, they're going to they'll That's fix sage it. advice. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it just, it came from one day I was bored and I thought, I think I'll just look at whimsical photos on Pinterest, you know, how we do. And I found a picture of a castle and I just thought, I want to write, I want to write a story with that in it somehow. And then uh, my daughter said, mom, it's, there's nothing special about the castle. It's, it's, it's about the tree that's growing there. And so oh. I was like, oh, tell me more. And so we ended up concocting this whole entire thing in the car on the way somewhere. And I, I, my brain kind of exploded. And so I wrote this down. And then a friend of mine who's also an author, Leslie Kanzati, she's amazing. Um, she wanted to form a writer's guild so that, you know, like-minded authors could sit in my dining room, essentially, and just talk to each other about what, are, what we're doing, what we're working on, and kind of act like introverts all in one room and ignore each other together peacefully while we clack away on our computers. <laughs> and occasionally someone says, what's a good name for a chef? And someone else yells a name, and then we all be quiet again for another hour. And it was one of those kind of things. And having that accountability helped me overcome my human lies that I told um, myself. And so through, through outward human effort, 
I, I made the trek, the slog through the, oh, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And then that, and then the first book was born, but it took 18 months. Okay, so there's, that. that's amazing. 18 months is still considerable, considering that it when is, you compare yourself to other authors that take literally 10 years yeah, to just, create award-winning books, that's truly amazing. And what is even more remarkable is that the next two in the series happened within the span of a year. That blows my mind. Well, that's what's crazy, because the contrast between the two is, is something that it, it's like God said, oh, so you've decided that you're a finisher? Well, let me take you on a little journey then. Mm. I love that analogy. That's a lot better yeah. than I would have come up with that you fired those synapses and created those neural pathways that now make it easier. So you don't no longer have the, those tough paths, but you have the path of least resistance you've already traversed. So you can go there again. Yeah. But I like your analogy better. <laughs> so there's so much to unearth here. So backing up a little bit. Wow, you're you're in a place where you're working with a lot of other women and you're bouncing ideas off of one another. And that to me, I have to stop down there for a minute because so many of us don't work that way. I mean, I love having the support. Like I have a friend here, Karen Johnson in Kansas city. Um, and I think you know her, but she, I do. she and I will talk about things and she'll come up with ideas. Oh, you know, because in my novel that I'm working on, there's an artist and she says, Oh, well, is she signing her paintings? You know, kind of thing. So there's little things like that, that I appreciated being able to bounce off of her. However, um, I don't think that I would work well in that setting, I find. And maybe it's just the crazy, harried life that I live with so many people. <laughs> For me to be able to work, I need to be literally in a cave. I need to be in a hole in my basement somewhere <laughs> with the lights off so no one knows I'm there. <laughs> so how is that to work in a group of women? Are you, I mean, obviously, y'all must not have ADD. Because... <laughs> stay focused. Well, you know what? Honestly, it, it, it's weird to me, too. It is weird um, because that was definitely for a season. You know, I, I mean, we've already talked about you, you go through seasons where for a certain point in your life, God is working with you where you're at. Mm. So with the limitations that I had finally started to go, maybe I maybe I am a finisher. Maybe he was actually using <laughs> This is terrible. I'm just going to be real with you right now. He was actually using my... I love it because that's what... You know, I love that. <laughs> he was using my ego in a, in a way that would, would benefit me. You know, it was a major Romans 828 thing where he's working all things together for the good of those who love him. And, you know, so seriously, my ego is not a good thing. But he was saying, but this is what I have to work with, so I'm going to turn it to, to your good. So Aww. you have this need for people to approve of you right now. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to surround you with people who love you and who and will create this safe environment, and you can you can bring them a chapter a week and they'll read it and go wow. Yeah. <laughs> and it was that it was that need to just you know get a chapter a week done so that when I showed up to that meeting, it was there, and I could say here's how the story progresses and because you know I had a few people who were going so what happens next. And, you know, God bless them because they were <laughs> such a catalyst for me to just get moving because it was the motion that I needed. It wasn't why I was doing it that was important. It was that I was doing it. So they were like... So it, it just built... Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. It just built consistency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It built this consistency where I would just got in a habit of writing and got in the habit of thinking that way, like, this is going to get finished. That's great. And then, and that, and then that season was kind of over because miraculously, all of us ended up having other places to be on that, you know, night of the week. And we just couldn't ever pull it together really again to have that season where we could meet weekly like that. 
And so, and we never have, but for that time, books were born, projects were conceived of, people were encouraged, and it was just something that needed to happen for most of us. Wow. So the veil parted, heaven came down to your table. And you guys, I was thinking, I want to use this word or a couple of words, but, you know, it's like politically incorrect to use the word. I understand now the words accountability partner. (laughs) Because, I mean, we always hear that, but I've been I've been reading a lot online lately where people don't like that. It's like that's not a good one. It's not positive enough. But I do understand that you had those people that were surrounding you that did make you accountable and encouraged you onto the finish line. They were cheering you on. You know, I told you. It was a cheering section. Yes. Well, and I I shared with you earlier, we had to set the interview back a little bit because I had to run up to the grain elevator to grab some stuff for my animals here on the farm. And the snows are melting and the roads are really muddy. And I live on gravel. I'm three miles off the highway on gravel. And as I'm traveling down the gravel road, I keep thinking of that song that heaven is cheering you on. And I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, the visual on that is so helpful and I liken it to what you experienced there. If you know that even just one person is cheering you on, if you know that heaven is cheering you on, it can change your perspective just to continue the course, to keep going. And absolutely, absolutely. how wonderful is that? So the other part I wanted to unpack in what you said, and I'm probably not going to remember everything because, boy, there were so many nuggets there. <laughs> the first thing you said was, you know, talked about timing. And I think this is really important for women to hear who have a longing to accomplish something, whether it's to complete that painting they started years ago or to continue along those lines or to write a book or start a blog or whatever it is. And they have young children at home. And I know because I've counseled my own daughter to this end. It's it's really hard sometimes and frustrating when it feels like you can't do both. But, you know, I always assure her motherhood is the, the most sacred, beautiful calling that you can fulfill. And sometimes all of these other competing ideas really come into our brain. And rather than think that we need to jump on them right away, God is just giving us sort of some seeds that he'll water and nourish to the time that they start to grow, you know, when the ground is most fertile. So absolutely. Yeah. And I think you said something important, which is that those things come to us in seed form, Mm. you know, all the potential of, and all of the outcomes are are built into the DNA of that seed. Everything that's needed to make a, a giant tree happen is already contained in there. So you ask God for a giant oak tree that shades your whole yard and makes acorns like crazy. And, and it's something you can put a tire swing on and he'll hand you an acorn. And you're like, that's not what I asked for. He's like, oh, yes, it's. <laughs> because I would not rob you of your victory Aww. for a million years. I'm going to let you plant this. I'm going to let you watch it grow. And I'm, you know, you're, I'm going to let you make sure the soil is what it needs to be. But, you know, everything you've asked for is in there. But the faith to see it is, is the faith to see the way he sees. And that means sometimes, yeah, your dreams are burritoed for 30 years and you get to take them out later. But honestly, like ladies who, I'm just going to talk to the ladies right now for a second who are just, you know, have their, they're just changing diapers and they're like, when do I get my turn? And honestly, you know what? God loves the process. He Mm. loves the growth. He loves it when you just sit with him and you just turn your face to your father and you just say, I trust you. You don't have to look around you at what other women are doing. You don't have to look around and say, my life should look more like that lady's life, or I wish I was more like this person. 
you just look at your dad in heaven and just say, what do you have for me today? How can I bless the people around me? Because the, the way up is down, as Heidi Baker says. Mm. The way up is the door is in the floor. Service is, is the way to the hot, to the top in God's kingdom. So waiting for him to bring that increase because he gives, he rewards things done in secret. He, he rewards acts of humility and acts of unconditional love. And when you've gone through that process with him, you've gained maturity, you start to think the way he thinks, he hands you bigger things. He yeah. wants people who care what, how he feels. He wants people who love his heart then he'll hand you something because he knows you'll do with it what he would do with it. So if you've lived that life with him and then he hands you something amazing, it's, <laughs> I've heard this said too, like we ask for big responsibilities or the chance to write a book or the chance to do this or that, but he knows what we can handle. So if you ask for that when you're 20 and he gives you that big opportunity, there's, there's half a chance it would crush you. I think so you're if right. If he makes you wait 10 years, yeah, there's, if he makes you wait 10 years, there's a chance that he's just handing you an acorn and saying, I want you to grow up as this grows up. This analogy is perfect in how apropos, considering your time tree chronicles, I'm thinking <laughs> every trees. pun intended. Um, you know, I, <laughs> so uh, yeah, and and I, I love that you're addressing this subject directly because my heart hurts for those women in those places. Just as I spoke to you earlier and told you my, my heart hurts for women in places who feel as though time has already passed them by and they've already missed their chance from the moment we draw breath until the moment we take our last, we have relevance and we have purpose. And I love that God is, is telling us to just wait a minute. And I'm constantly reminded of the Mary and Martha story because I have to tell you, I've been that Martha. Martha, scurrying around, working, doing all of those things that I need to do <laughs> when I should have been down on my butt at the feet of Jesus, you know, just just hanging out with him, resting a minute, listening to him, loving him, allowing him to love me back. And I think in those moments where I felt, well, I have to be the Martha. Are you kidding me? I mean, who else is going to be the Martha? <laughs> There's no other Martha around here. You know what I mean? Somebody has to be the Martha, Yeah, you know, to get the stuff done. Mm-hmm. And I, I've had, I had this sort of epiphany at one point and just to be as real as you were regarding the ego thing, you know, I had 14 years in radio and I did a little television before I left California. And then I moved here, was transferred here. I took a job here in Kansas City because I had gotten divorced and I ended up remarrying and I quit my job and I moved to a farm. Well, let me tell you, (laughs) the farm is not a place for ego. It just isn't. I mean, it is humiliating. There were times that I drove my big 15 passenger van into town with all of my kids loaded up, you know, fresh mud splashed along the sides of it, you know, the kids tumbling out. And I, I felt like I would look at other women and think, they have it so together and I'm so humiliated. And then, you know, then we started milking goats and, you know, my kids were cringing and th- saying, mom, we can't even talk about this. Please don't talk about this. Please don't admit it. Please just park down the street when you pick me up. And I'm thinking, this is where I've gone. You know, this is where I am. I can't have people over. I mean, and I watch people from the city walk out to my place. I'm telling you what, and look almost disdainfully down at the chicken poop in my yard, you know, or whatever. And I remember thinking... <laughs> I don't think I can hit a lower low. I mean, like, this is it. And yet there was still so much more coming from me, for me. And what I think is so true is you cannot operate efficiently in what God has planned for you to do 
until you make sure that you you're emptied, whether it's by your design or his <laughs> and uh, or maybe a little of both. But yeah, I love that. The timing has to be just that. And so therefore, you know, it's funny years ago. I didn't really care what I said, you know, when I was on radio and part of morning shows. And I know that you can, this resonates mm-hmm. with you. And then I became a believer in Christ. And then I kept thinking, oh my gosh, I, I'm so concerned. I don't, I don't want to open my mouth and say the wrong thing. And oh my goodness, I don't want to be an obstacle to anyone's faith. Uh, or I don't want to embarrass myself or whatever. And I'm thinking, what happened to me? I am a trembling, doubting wreck because I, I, you know, now I have to boost my confidence. So anyway, yeah, it's all good. I love what you said about humility because, you know, the scripture tells us humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and then he'll lift you up. Uh, we don't want it to go the other way, right? We don't want him to have to humble us. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> but he yeah. will. He, he will. will, if, oh, he we will. Need his, if we need him to. Yeah. Yeah. The minute we start <laughs> just, going you know, there, oof. right? Okay, so I want to talk about the Time Tree Chronicles. And I and and again, in unpacking just that little bit you said, I mean, I'll have a 30 minute response for every five minutes of information (laughs) you give me. But the fact that your kids knew it, so and, and we're helping you your daughter in particular, let me ask you a lot of authors when they set out to write fiction, they have a game plan in mind, they have an outline, a beginning an end, and they just color everything in in between. It sounds to me when you're talking about painting yourself into a corner or needing to come up with a a different way um, or a different plot plan, you were aided in that. So it makes me think that what you're saying is you don't necessarily always have such an outline together at the beginning. Um, yeah, you know, in, in, as you know, in the author world, there, there are planners and there are pantsers, which as in go by the seat of your pants. Yes. Uh, I would probably definitely tend toward the latter. Um, yay. You know, it's weird. I, I, I need, I need to know where someone's going within a chapter or two. Yeah. And then after that, I just kind of let it, you know, then I'll figure I'll figure it out from there. So I'll write maybe the first three chapters. I'll have a kind of a plot and sort of an idea how it ends, or even just maybe just have an idea of the premise I'm going for. But then I only plan about two to three chapters ahead, and then I'll just write those, and then I'll see what it feels like should happen next. So I'm I'm kind of a, a hybrid of those two things. But you know, at the beginning, um, having having so much input from from other people made it so that I could sort of get an idea because they're very avid readers as well. And one is a fiction author too. So she would she'd say, so is, is, is this character going to do this? What's Iris going to do next? I bet she's going to do this. And I'd be like, okay, so that's the predictable option. That's obviously not what I'm going to do then. <laughs> so I would just sort of get an idea how the river flows by where I could see people laying stones for it. Mm. And then I'd, I'd kind of go, okay, do I want to go with what's predictable? Do I want to go formulaic or do I want to go a little bit more sort of off the, off the grid? And I, I try not to be too outside the lines because if, if a story jerks your mind back and forth, it's kind of not that fun of an experience to read. Yes. It. But I didn't want it to be where you could figure out everything ahead of time. I wanted there to be some plot twist. So I kind of try to find a balance there. And that's where a lot of that external help came in. But like I'm saying, that first novel, it was it was so different from the process I've used ever mm. since. It was literally a one-off that that, that happened that way um, because it was all by human effort. Uh. 
it was all by like, I have to figure out this craft. I have to figure out how to do this for myself. And I'm going to allow people to speak into this, which is good. I'm not, please don't hear me say I'm getting down on that at all. It's, it's necessary. You need to know your craft. Um, but there, but then it was like, God took me on a journey from there. He's like, okay, now you, now you understand what it's like to write a good story from the human standpoint, you know, how people do that. Now, let me show you how I do it. So what you're saying is there was more of a flow, not so much a panzer. Um, is that what yeah. you said, panzer? Yeah. So there was more of a flow with the second and third because you sort of fell into that groove and that was you attributed to, in which I've loved this, I've heard you say this before, that it was it was God that did it. It was. He said, I like your story. Let me let me show you where I can take it and let's write it. Let's write the next mm. one together. So sitting in literally Iris is me to some degree. I can because see that. She, you know, the character Iris is. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's this recent college graduate who has her head full of historical facts and she has a certain paradigm that she looks at the world this way, you know, and for her academic success is a height of achievement. And it's where she is, where she's going. That she wants to be known for that. Just like her father, he's her father's a college professor. She's just kind of wants to be involved in that world. But people, she keeps getting blocked. She looks too young. People think she doesn't have enough experience. Anyway, she ends up calling bingo at a nursing home because that's all she can find to get the get the rent paid. And then she she starts finding out all of this amazing supernatural stuff. That's kind of what happened to me. I, I was very intellectual about my faith. I was very, you know, of course God is real. Evidence is everywhere. Of course I agree with this. It's in the Bible. Of course this is true because God said but there was there was not a lot of in, there was mostly engagement with my mind in that and then, again don't hear me saying that's bad but I I needed to have more of a holistic faith and God was wanting more of my heart He wanted to win me over He wanted love He wanted you know you can agree with God but not necessarily love Him and yeah. so that's kind of where I was at so what He kept doing was introducing me to people who bugged me. <laughs> <laughs> just keeping it real just keeping yeah. it because I you know I was I was from a very staunch denomination I won't name which one because I'm not this is not about throwing anyone sure. under the bus yeah. but I was I was from a very staunch denomination that was very you know just intellectual about their faith and they just wanted things all like neatly in categories and they had just certain people that they would look down on because they're too emotional or too hyper or too whatever and they're like <laughs> So God kept putting people like that in my path that I would have to be like, why are you like that? Why do you, like, how do you interact with God in this way? I don't understand it. And finally, he just was saying, these people are having a real experience. They're seeing me work in real miraculous ways. The things that they're describing, the way I touch them physically, emotionally, you know, in their, in their minds and hearts, this is real. Mm. And it's for everyone. It's for all my kids. So you know, you've, you've been partly right, but there's more that I want to show you. So literally the title of the first book is the emergence because literally she's emerging into this world of supernatural truth that she never knew was there because it didn't fit neatly into an intellectual academic paradigm. She had to realize, wow, there's unseen things that are just as real, if not more than the things exactly. I see. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where I was at. So literally I was on that journey. Oh, wow. That just really resonates. Yeah. Yeah. So in the second book, it, it was all about her saying, okay, now that I, I see the, the supernatural this way, that changes how I have to respond. That means my identity changes. 
that means now I have to learn how to operate in that identity and rely on it because she becomes someone else, essentially. Wow. And God takes her through that journey. And he was doing the same thing for me. He, he's literally turning me into something of a mystic almost. Mm. I love the parallelism. Yeah. yeah, between you and what you were writing. And so that just like, it just really resonates with me, Lisa, I'm telling you, because I can so, so relate to that. And, and even in my own, you know, halfway completed novel, there's certainly that element as well, you know, very, very supernatural and some exploration that comes about after what you're saying. And after, as a new believer, I was sort of in that same place that you're talking about where we, we just really, denigrated feelings, we dismiss them as fooey. And we then have to understand we have to at some point come to terms with the fact that God gave us feelings and he created them. And we're not to operate on feelings solely, but with intellect running concurrently. But again, to dismiss feelings out of hand doesn't do anybody any service. And, and I, and I just, I really, wow, I just love that you that you address that because God wants us to love him and to feel emotion over him as opposed to just reading, you know, the word and saying, okay, this is the way it is. And, and all of this fits into one nice little box, but our God doesn't fit into a nice little box. There's so much mystery about him that we don't understand. So I also, before I forget though, and I do want to move into more of this as we talk about what you've seen in your own life, but you know, the fact that you just shared what you did about the way that you write, the manner in which you write is very refreshing because I think a lot of emerging writers think they have to have a game plan to start. That if you certainly, if you don't have this amazingly wonderful, um, intricate idea in your mind regarding a story, well, then what would be the point? But what I find is so interesting is what you just talked about, and that is, I mean, I haven't had a whole lot of experience in writing novels either. Uh, my first book, as you know, was a memoir. And I I did sit down and start writing a couple on a couple of dis- different occasions. And I was amazed at the ease which I found myself just rushing into it. It was almost like I was given this gift. And I wrote out, a, you know, chapter two, three. And I realized all of that was from the Lord, as our friend Missy Maxwell Wharton has talked about. I'm just sitting down and then writing something and realizing, where did that come from? I didn't write that. So it was kind of that, you know, with the the novel that I may or may not finish. But I did, I wrote, I certainly hope I finish it. Um, But I wrote all of that and I looked back on it and thought, I I don't even know where that came from. I didn't think about it. I didn't have the information in my head ahead of time. (laughs) I, I just drafted it straight from the whisper of God. And yet, here's my point. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. I don't. And I keep thinking, well, if I were responsible, I would know I'd have an ending. But no, I kind of think there's some something really exciting about letting the Lord just kind of take the reins and seeing where he goes with it. Absolutely. Um, You know, and there's I I was listening to your episode with Missy, actually, and she said something that that made that resonated with me so much. So maybe. I don't know. I, I don't want to belabor it because that's that's kind of her thing. But it was no. it, it was amazing when she said she she had prophecy spoken over her that the Lord wanted her to use her in a specific way, mm. but there were there was evidence to the contrary around her saying this isn't going to happen, and she had to contend for that. 
Yeah. She had to say, no, God said, and I, I believe it. And yeah. that's, that's literally what happened to me. Cause and, and it's, as you say, he, he, you give him the reins to see what he would have you do. And these things come out of you that you're like, I didn't, I didn't come up with that. That's totally him. Um, so for, yeah, for my second book, I met, I met somebody who prophesied over, and this is somebody, <laughs> this is somebody really reliable. So it was, it was like, somebody said, oh, did he say something to you about the future? Cause you should listen. Cause he said something to me two years ago and it totally happened. Mm. So I was like, oh, eyebrows up. Yeah. Really? I'm listening. <laughs> so <laughs> he comes up to me and he, he said, this is right after I won the first author elite award for the, for book uh, one. And this was this was the the end of a human accomplishment where I, I had done what it takes as a human being to write a novel all by myself. But I, I could sense that he was in it and that he had more for me. And then he, he walks up to me, this guy, and he says to me, you didn't win because it's the best book. And I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> he says, hmm. What he else says do you have to say? Because, yeah, but, he, but it's fine. That's fine. He said, but you won because it's the now book, because what God is doing is he's calling creatives out in his kingdom to start saying, to start spreading the message that the enemy is no longer allowed to take credit for God's ideas. Mm, that he, you know, that's great. That, that the, these books are about, you know, just like Aslan sang Narnia into existence. Mm. He said, you're singing a message into existence and bringing forth new worlds that proclaim God's authority in this world. Wow, and so as people read these stories, they're going to be starting to think bigger thoughts about the reality of who God is and how His kingdom works. So they're like parables, like living parables. Yeah, and so he pronounced a three-month <laughs> time frame over the second book, and I thought he was out of his tree. Yeah, I'm not again. Kidding. I'm just like, every that- pun intended. <laughs> I just yeah, love it. humanly, that is not possible. <laughs> I said, nah, I have three kids at home. You're, you are joking. He's like, no, three, three months. <laughs> so, all right. So I did some, so that was in October and I. So I, I want to talk to this guy. Maybe he'll give me three months. I know, right? Uh, never mind. No, I'm like Charlie Brown with the rock in the bag. He'll say, honey, hmm, three years, maybe three decades. No, I'm just kidding. No, oh, I know. No, no. So I need to, sorry, I'm interrupting, but I'm going to stop right down here and say no. So we need to be better at affirming ourselves as well as others. So yeah. yes, yes, Absolutely. yes. But just taking hold of what God has said and be yes. like, yeah, God, I share your vision and I will cooperate because you, you can certainly make it so those things don't happen by lying to yourself about, you know, I don't finish books or, you exactly. know, that can't be done because I have three kids at home that are home, being homeschooled or whatever you want to do. But honestly, I saw miracles in that book. So that was October. He said that. Um, so through November and December, the holiday season, I did some, I did a little bit of research. I kind of, I just decided, I don't know why I do now because he put it in my head. But at the time, I did not know why I chose Sedona, Arizona as my location, but I did. And I thought it'd be kind of interesting to see if there's like some interaction between all those like hippy dippy, like new agey vortexes down there with, you know, how they interact with maybe with time trees or something. Right. And that was just all I had. That was the only premise in my head. That was it. And so I, I actually went down there, my mom and I took a deep tour of Sedona. We visited all the vortexes out in the desert and all this. But what was crazy was after I got all this research done, I, right before we went on the deep tour, I thought, you know what, I should just look up how this whole like new agey stuff started down here. I, I assumed it was in the 1960s. Yeah. Um, I was completely wrong. What ha- It was find? actually, 
Well, there was one woman who, who was a, a kind of a, a medium, I guess you could call it. She she channeled demonic spirits. Hmm. And she was sent there in 1981 by this particular one that she had formed a relationship with. Um, <laughs> and he he called himself Albion, and he spoke with a British accent. Okay. And he, he was the one that told her to teach people to meet their spirit guides at these vortexes in the desert. Oh, wonderful. But what floored, what, yeah, so that, that was pretty recent, actually. It was only in the 80s. But what floored me about that was that I already have a character in book one that I had already written. It was an angelic being that was good, and his name was Albion, and he was in Great Britain. That's crazy. That sort of gives me the it, chills. It I know, I know. And I could not have planned that. I called him Albion because that was one of the original names of the UK because when explorers sailed up to the White Cliffs of Dover, they said, oh, this place just looks white. We'll call it Albion because that means white. That's literally the only thought I had. I thought, oh, that sounds kind of ancient and cool. I'll just call my angel that. Yeah, then, that name was straight from God. <laughs> right. It was straight from God it's because then I go to Sedona and I'm working on book two and it's like, okay, what you're coming up against right now is another spirit being that calls himself Albion, who speaks with a British accent, who has actually literally talked for real through someone, started a religion down here. And that's, that's what you're dealing with. And you're going to call him out as a liar. Good for you. How did you feel when you were down there? Did you feel that spirit? Did you feel the oppression? I, I, no, Good. not Good. at all. I felt, I felt there was, there was a presence for yeah. sure. There was definitely a presence, but it, it didn't scare me I, because I was very confident that I was, I was there. You know, when you're, yeah, I know what you're going to say. Where is it? For yeah. Sure, when it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you walk, <laughs> you're yeah. on a mission, you're a child of right, God. You're a child of God. You, have you have so much light stuff. surrounding you and so much yeah. protection. Just everybody else has to stand back. Yeah. 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 Well, and it was just things like that kept happening. I, I started to write them down. There were literally like 10 different things that, that happened during the course of writing that book that were just like, that shouldn't have happened, but it did. Um, but things like that, that was probably the biggest one where it's just like, Albion, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can believe it. I, uh, you can't make yeah, this stuff no, up. No, and that, see, that's why, yeah, I just, uh, God is so good. And yeah. if you clear your mind and you open it up to possibilities where he is concerned, he just doesn't let you down. So, no. and I and I want to keep on this track, but I do. I just want to say, do you know everything that you're saying? It is, it is so promising for those who are listening, because what you're doing is you're eradicating not only the fear that many attach to thinking of an endeavor that they really had always hoped or secretly, furtively desired to do, but you are giving them permission to to walk in a way that may be contrary to what they've always heard was the way to walk. And mm-hmm. in doing so, freeing themselves up to so much possibility. Yeah. And that is so exciting. So, you know, that's a natural transition into so much of what I want to discuss on this podcast. And that is the supernatural ways that the Lord works. And I, I didn't even have to go there. I didn't even have to ask you because that was so innately part of your story and how you've learned to write so is there anything else you want to share about that experience, the writing experience that you would attribute to miracles or supernatural occurrences where the Lord is yeah. concerned? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> this, this might end up, you might have to edit this for, for length because I could, I could literally go on, but... Um, 
Please go but, on. Yeah, I mean, I really think it's worth the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I knew, um, and I knew this would happen. So I'm thinking, oh man, yeah. I'm sitting down with Lisa. It's you know, I don't want to talk to her a Yakety long time. Yak. Oh my, yeah. Well, and we just we're such big fans of what God is doing. So, and that's that's hard to stop talking yes. about. But um, yes, yes, but, yeah. So in the process of writing book two, I, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to hold that whole three month thing in an open hand. I'm going to trust God for that. But I'm I, I can't worry about that. I can't be looking at the calendar all the time. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to get into it and I'm just going to focus on what God's actually saying. So in this particular process, very much unlike book one, I did not involve very many people in the writing process. I didn't get a lot of opinions. I didn't get a lot of outside influence. I did my research. I mean, not a leaf blows, not a bird flutters without me knowing for sure. It's in that part of the world at that time of year. It's all very realistic. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, at, you know, but at the same time, like, I learned about weird things, like, you know, what, what the, what the, uh, the University of Arizona, not University of Arizona, yeah, it was, UVA, um, in Tucson, looks like in 1965. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just stuff like that that I had to know to write the right. book. So th- those were the outside influences I-, I chose was just the research. But as as facts keep unveiling themselves, I kept seeing how God was in it. Because, you know, at one point I had the story set in 1958, and God said, shift it to 1965. And I said, why? He said, because. So I did. And suddenly, everything I needed for my character to have in place before he got there was already there. From the car he drove to the way he met other characters to what was going on, it was all there. It was it was perfect. And then God kept, you know, so book two happened in 60 days, 60 calendar days. I didn't pull all-nighters. I took weekends off. I went on dates with my husband. I played with my kids. I even took MLK weekend off to rebuild the guinea pig cage. So I wasn't like... I wasn't going nose to the grindstone on it. It just happened. And honestly, I can say factually that God was multiplying minutes like loaves and fish because Mm. I have no idea how I wrote 120,000 words in 60 days, but I did. It's astounding. Um, It's miraculous. And then so, yeah, and he kept waking me up with songs. So that was the other. So he was starting to teach me about intimacy at that point. And that's a whole other thing I can go into for book three. But it, it began a little bit in book two where he was saying, now that you understand the supernatural is real and that it matters to you and that you it affects your identity, I'm going to teach you how to stay close to me so that you can operate safely in it. And so he kept waking me up with songs. So when it was time, when it was a day to be creative and write the story together, he would wake me up with a song from The Greatest Showman called A Million Dreams. <laughs> wow, he's so creative. I, yeah, was, that's that, good. That's, yeah, that that's was, rich. But yeah. that was literally our song. I mean, I can't listen to it without crying. And then so he had we had a specific song where he's like, today's a day about you being close to me. We had a song for that. And then one time I woke up with this really weird song in my head, and I'm going, why that? And I couldn't figure it out. And it was St. Elmo's Fire. <laughs> it's just a wow, stupid rock song. And it's kind of, I think yeah. it's about drugs, actually. Um, <laughs> which I is, have no idea. Nothing like, yeah, well, I think it is. And I looked at the lyrics and I thought, that cannot be what we're talking about, God. And he was laughing at me. And I'm going, okay. He's like, just, it's the title. And I said, okay. So I looked at what, what is St. Elmo's Fire. It's actually a weather phenomenon where there's hmm. this amazing, harmless, blue, lightning, static-looking stuff all over things when there's a specific static charge in the atmosphere. And he was saying, I'm going to be creating visible signs that the atmosphere is changing. Hmm. 
And so he actually had me write that blue lightning kind of staticky stuff. He had me write that into a scene that I was going to do that day, and it made it absolutely pop, and it was perfect. And it actually created the, the blue theme for the cover for book two. That's amazing. So, I cannot wait to get my hands on yeah. those books. I, um, <laughs> I have, you know, the, yeah, there's, there's just so much I want to say in response and so many more questions. I, I totally believe that, you know, Missy and I, as you know, talked about those kinds of things, the, the, the songs that will awaken us. In fact, I don't, I don't remember if it was actually with Missy that I spoke about this, but I had a similar experience once where he just kept giving me the song, giving me the song. And finally I realized, wait a minute, I haven't heard that song in a while. Why am I singing that song? Oh God, you're singing that song to me. Okay. I need to stop mm-hmm. down and pay attention. And I have those moments too. And I, and I love that because, you know, sometimes I'll wake up hearing or singing a song my kids have tormented me with the day before. Um, but sometimes, <laughs> you know, it's, it's legit. Like I haven't heard the song in a while and he's making a point. And the other song for me that brings tears to my eyes every single time is Jen Johnson's The Goodness of God. It was, mm. it, I've had that song come on in moments where I've absolutely needed the words to that song. And every time I hear it, the timing is absolutely impeccable and it just assures me of his devotion to me. And I know that there are those listening that are thinking, I have the same things happen. And then there are others that think, I haven't had that happen to me yet. But but don't you worry. If you want it to happen and you pursue your God as he pursues you, it'll happen. I just believe oh, that. Oh, yeah. The, just the fact that if you're hearing that right now for the first time, that this is a new idea to you that God would speak in that way he's opening your mind to it because he's planning to do it to you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to speak that yes. up. Yes. No, that's true. I, that yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's I, the story of my life. Like literally I'll hear something and then it'll happen to me because God is saying, I could have done it before, but you wouldn't have noticed. Yeah. Well, and I always tell my kids, I teach a high school worldviews class and anytime we discover a new religion, I always tell the kids, now get ready. You've learned about this because God's going to put you in touch with someone that is a Muslim or is involved in Freemasonry or whatever it is that we're, we're studying, God is going to bring those people into your life so you can have a discussion with them and you will know where they're coming from when you talk about Jesus. And of course, it's yeah. true. It happens all of the time. It happens to me. No sooner do I teach on a certain subject that I'm running into somebody who's affiliated with that subject as well. And I'm laughing, you know, okay, God, I see, yeah. you know, I see where you're going with that. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but it's, it's honestly, for me, it was, it was learning how intensely he loves people. Yes. Um, you know, grow, growing up, we, I was always taught to be on guard against that kind of thing and to be very suspicious of people's doctrine and to be very like, you know, I, I don't want to say judgmental, but it, it kind of felt like it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, now in, in, in learning things, he, he showed me a vision once and, you know, do with this what you will. It was from him though. I, we were driving past um, an LDS church and he said, you know, one of these days, my spirit's going to fall in that church. Does that offend you? And I thought about it for a while, and I, you know, I was like, well, no, you love those people. I couldn't have said that five years ago. Yeah. I would have been like, what? Not them. You know? Yeah. But he softens us over time. He gets us to think like he does. He sure does. Because he, he, he loves those people. He loves them. And, you know, it's like you say, you, you learn about Muslims, or you learn about people who are involved in masonry, and it's like... You can look them in the eye and literally say to them, I see God in you. Mm. I see the, I see that you're made in his image. And, yeah. 
he's he's ready to awaken that part of himself inside you. He's ready to talk to you and make you come alive. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he created you know? all of us and he loves all of us so much. And yeah, we oh, having a heart for others is just it's just so dear, because then you're able to see them. You know, through God, you're able to see them the way he sees them. And it does change everything, doesn't it? It just it eradicates yeah. judgment or condemnation or um, angry differences. And in its place is nothing but peace. In all yeah, of those places, exactly. is nothing but peace. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, and I feel like that's where he's taking the church, too, because, you know, in Ephesians, it tells us that eventually we're going to be one in the Spirit. We're going to experience that. We have that, that fivefold ministry of prophets, evangelists, teachers, and those types of people who, who are there to help build up the body of Christ, but they're not going to be there forever because eventually they won't be necessary because we will all be in unity of uh, in the Spirit, which means that maturity and unity is where we're headed. Yeah. which means that denominations won't be a thing. Can you imagine a world where that's true? That would be Can you imagine so a world cool. where we all go like, yeah. And it's like, I can look at the church I grew up in and go, you know what? They believe for certain things, other things they don't. They, like, if Jesus says, all these works I do, you're also going to do in greater because I'm going to the Father. And maybe the people I grew up with don't have faith to reach for that. But you know what? They believe Jesus for their salvation and he will never disappoint them. Mm. Their yeah. faith is in the right place. So we don't have to agree on everything. That's that's the freedom in the in the body of Christ that we have, which is just yeah. amazing. Yeah. And so and I've and it's interesting that you point this out and this is not anywhere near where I thought this was going, but I love what the Lord is doing because as we <laughs> talked about, you know, just letting the spirit run the course here. I have long said that. I mean, I have said that in my course description for my worldviews class, this is a non-denominationally preferential. We're not we're not being preferential here, denominationally rather, in this classroom. And this is the case that uh, for this podcast, you know, I made that declaration from the very beginning in the prologue, because I have long um, just been heartsick over the squabbling that takes place in the church regarding when to baptize or, you know, when to take communion or how to take communion or all of those things that we squabble about. We need to stop it because we need yeah. to come together. Now is the time to come together and show people the love of Jesus. And um, and this is our task. This is our responsibility, the greatest one, our greatest calling. And all of that stuff, you know, just gets in the way. Glad you brought it up. Yeah, well, he's coming back for a yeah. spotless bride, right? You know, he's not going to marry down. No. He's going to marry equal. Yeah. He's going to be equally yoked. So that means that we, we're going to get it together at some point. <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> but but whatever you were going to say before, I, I think we were on a good track. I kind of like took us off in the weeds there for a second. But what <laughs> were you going to say before? <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I don't recall. But what I do want to say is, you know, I love, first of all, let me just issue this disclaimer for, for those that are listening. I have read the the first book, Time Tree, The Emergence, and I loved it so much. I didn't, I wanted to assign it to my American Lit class. And I couldn't very well do that because honestly, we don't really read books in American literature class that are super enjoyable. Oh. <laughs> and I mean, my, my, my students know that. I mean, listen, the goal there is to educate, not to entertain so much. And I know that there are kids that come back and say, I really enjoyed that book. And so on and so forth. I think The Crucible is really good. Um, but most of the stuff that we look at is, I feel like they think it's more strenuous than it is enjoyable. And your book is one that is so good. I I really, I can't say when I've enjoyed something as much as I enjoyed your book last year. And so I'm sort of, 
I can't believe I've been so remiss as to not purchase the next one in the series. And now I'll have to get the third. Um, So it's not just so meaningful as you've described. You've also done a really terrific job in investing us as readers in your characters and what they're going through. And it's fun and exciting and symbolic. There's so much allegory in it. It's it's just really well done. So I wanted to make sure I stopped down and say that and said that rather than than oh, to let thank it go. You. Um, so yeah, so we were talking about miracles. So you know, usually what I ask people when they come on the show is, what is the you know greatest single piece of evidence you have for the realness of God? I think you you've already mentioned a lot, but is there anything else that you want to speak to, Lisa? I think it's just a knowing, honestly. Um, I I think that. I have I have misunderstood faith for for a, a, a big part of my life. It's it's more, you know, I, I interpreted faith as just well, if it says it in the Bible, then it must be true, and that's what faith is. But honestly, that's maybe a two percent of what I think it is now, which is just as God in as you surrender to the Father and you allow the Holy Spirit to change your DNA you become so aware and so just full of confidence of his his voice and of his working and of what he's doing and how he's changing you. And it, it's literally, it makes Romans 12, 1 and 2 come alive, that you, you become transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you know what God's will is. That doesn't make any sense if you've never had it happen, but man... Yeah. If you have had it happen, it makes a ton of sense. It sure does. It's that, you know, the 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 faith the hall of fame of faith people in Hebrews where it talks about Abraham struck out not knowing what was going to happen, but he left the, the home of his fathers and he just like said, "Okay, God, we're going." You know, him completely being willing to change his entire life and believe for a a baby boy who when he was 100 years old, you know, that seems kind of incredible to us, but God asks us to believe it for smaller things. Like, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a book with you in three months, and there's just a knowing that comes over you. That's like, yeah, yeah, God, you are, you are gonna do that, yeah, <laughs> because you said, because God, you know, God is spirit, God is word, and he's he's invisible. He said this about himself, so we can't always see what he's doing, but. You know, we've, I've heard this said about God. You know, we all have, uh, we have our five love languages. Oh, I like acts of service or quality time or gifts or whatever it is. God's God's love language, according to my one of my favorite teachers, Chris Blackaby. He's an Australian guy. He's awesome. Uh, he said God's love language is to be believed. Mm. He just wants you to believe what he says. That's you can love him by by believing what he says, and that's faith. And and he just he, he's so kind, and so he just comes. He meets you right there. You 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 say, "I believe you," and he's he's right there to meet you with this this knowing and this assurance. And that I think that's the biggest evidence in my life is just that knowing. Talking about bringing tears to your eyes, when you said that, it just hit me square between the eyes. I guess to cause them to water. I yeah, he just wants to be believed. Like there's this line in Lee Strobel's "A Case for Christ," mm-hmm. the case for Christ, yeah. the movie that was put out. Just a couple of years ago, oh, I read the book. You know it's where great. he's asking. Oh, I we te- I teach it in my my. It's one of the, it's the first book my students read in worldviews class every year, just to set set the ground for why we believe what we believe. Nice. And there's a line in there in the movie where he's going through. He's talking to a professor, and he 
I can't remember which one of the men has the line, but he says, he looks around and he goes, I just, I'm just trying to figure out why this, why he would do this, why God would come down to the planet, become human and die for our sins, why he would do this. What is this all about? And he says, it just keeps coming back to one word, love. Yeah. And every time I think about that, it just, it makes me so emotional so that when you said he just wants to be believed, there's just so much love in that statement because when you believe there's so much understanding that's attached to that. And then it makes what we talked about earlier, everything that we see in this world pale in comparison to what we know exists beyond it and beyond what we can see, Yeah, which is so exciting yeah, it's so beautiful. exciting. Well, and yeah, and Hebrews twelve two says that you know Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him. And we think about, oh yeah, redeeming the planet and whatnot. It's like no, the joy set before him was his bride. If he could literally think of you mm-hmm. and then go through that, what's our response? Right. Yeah, and knowing <sighs> what I often think about, yeah, you're going to make me cry. That's okay. I often think seriously. I often think that so often when we're caught in our crud, that he's already looking so far behind beyond it and he's rejoicing and he's, he's joyful for what is beyond, what is the outcome. And that's exactly what you're speaking about. Yeah. Hebrews speaks about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and his, his, his words are so gentle. He he says, you know, come to me and learn from me because I'm gentle and my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And then and then we we think of it sometimes when we're not feeling the most optimistic or maybe we're not having the most mature moment. We can read in James where it says to consider it joy when we face trials. And we think, well that's that's real sweet. You know, you're just not you don't understand the pain I'm in. You know, don't say that to me. You're not validating me, you know. That's how we're taught to think right. Now. <laughs> but honestly, right. his his wisdom is is so right on because we, we do have a, a certain creative power as his children. He, he gives us life and death and the power of our tongues. And so when we're to consider it joy when we face trials, we, we can literally say stress can be good for me. A tree that bends in the wind makes stronger roots. It can't be shaken as easily because it's strong, because it's gone through some stuff. And he's not, he's not robbing me of victory in that area. He's letting me go through some things so that I have joy in the future and trusting him and speaking that out makes it so. Yeah. Well, and there's a fine line, even just physiologically that happens between stress and excitement. So, so oftentimes when I feel stressed about something, I really have to work on honing my skills to sort of flip that, you know, it's almost like you're walking this very thin line or you're on a fence and you could go either way, but stress is so close to joy. And all you need to do is sort of flip that <laughs> mentally, right? And think, I'm not stressed. Yeah. I'm excited about what is coming up, about how God is going to handle this for me and how he's going to turn yeah. it inside out. And I yeah. know there even, is medical even science. Even if you are stressed, that. you're like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And even if you are stressed, like you generally, you genuinely are not happy and it's hard. You can go, you know, like... He understands and he's using this. He's turning this into something beautiful. Yeah. 
For sure. That's that's amazing. That's so, and that's, again, that, that comes from faith. That just comes from just knowing how much he loves you. Yeah. And something he's been showing me lately, too, is I, and the, this this last book that I was writing, there was so much um, that he was teaching me about the intimacy of union with him, of oneness in him. Because, I mean, I don't know if you've ever really sat and just pondered the ideas in John 17, I believe it is, where Jesus is praying. Um, it's kind of insane because he's saying, he's saying, I want, I want you to be part of the Trinity. He's saying you and the, you, you and I are one just as I and the father are one. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, have you thought about the implications of that? I mean, we kind of read over that going, oh, that was a really nice prayer. But do we understand where that puts Mm. us? That's insane. That is insane. Why would he want, they have a tight little circle there, you know, (laughs) like the the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been together since the beginning of forever, right? Like they don't have a beginning. And then he makes these crazy people, a whole planet full of just willful, crazy, rebellious people. Then he dies for them. He gives them victory over sin and death. And then he says... We want you in the circle. We want you part of this forever. Like if we lose one of you, we're gonna, we're gonna. That's that loss is permanent to us. We feel it. That's you're a part of our body. You know, I what? yeah, I. So here's the fun part. Being real, I feel like I need to go in search for Kleenex as it is. So you're really messing me up, Lisa. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah. So <laughs> the thing is, I have looked at that verse, but I haven't marinated in it which is what I need to do. And that's the thing, you oh know, my. just to take those sorts of verses, any verse, and just stop down for a few minutes and don't go any further, but just wait on the Lord in that moment, wait on that verse. Yeah. That is phenomenal. Yeah. And there's, there's Or, you just... know, the other thing I was learning... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, well, the, the other thing I was learning in the process of writing this was just... I don't think we realize what our worship does to him. We think about how we have all this stuff that, you know, we, we bring him our problems and he's so good to us. And, and, you know, he gives us what we need. He reassures us. He helps us. But honestly, he, he describes our worship and our love as fine wine as something that undoes him, that reaches into his heart, that takes his breath away. I mean, I mean, do you understand, people, <laughs> when you tell God, I love you, or you become fruitful, and do you realize what that does to him? He is undone by that. That's the whole yeah. reason he made you. That's why he, he wants this relationship. You know, he wants you no matter how you are, but when you're fruitful and you turn to him and respond, he, he just, you melt him into a puddle. Even when you, you don't have, have you a have voice the like to me. Do that. When I don't, I don't have a singing voice and I go out on the, see, this is one of the things that's really great about living on a farm. When I can go out and I'm doing the chores, I'm by myself and I know that no neighbor can hear me. I can sing to the Mm -hmm. Lord and I do. And I laugh because I have no musical gift, but I always think it doesn't matter because it's still fragrant to him. It's still Yeah. And you definitely sound better than the goats. Yeah. Well, I do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I think. Some people around here might beg to differ, but no, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's not a whole, 
marginally so, I suppose. But it, so, but it's fun. I mean, it's it's so fun to be goofy, silly, talk to him, sing when you don't have talent, yeah. play instruments when you don't have a talent. Hey, listen, writing. Even if you, even if you don't feel like you have a talent for it, whatever it is, washing the dishes, um, doing the laundry, mm-hmm. everything that you do, if you're worshiping him and giving it over to him, it's just such a loving gift, and that's that's just great to remember that. Yeah, and it is. I well, and it's it is great. It's it makes you great in the kingdom. It's everything that you he an opportunity to be with him in oneness and unity and and union complete communion with God is it's not just when you're taking the bread and the wine it's it's yeah it's like you said it's when you're scraping bubblegum off of somebody's shoe for the third time because you're serving them it's he loves that and he's right there with you i i had the weirdest vision one time where i my husband is, God bless him, his hair is leaving, but he, I, I cut his hair, what's left of it. I have for years, probably 15 years I've been cutting his hair. And one time he sat down in the chair and as I'm whisking this cape around his neck and I'm fastening it into place, I saw Jesus. And I was like, Jesus just sat down in my chair and I'm going to cut his hair. Oh gosh. And it freaked me out. I was like, I better do a good job. <laughs> like, what? What if Jesus was literally saying, I didn't get to do the dishes. Would you mind doing my dishes? And yeah. I'd be like, uh, yeah, I would be happy. Yeah, and that's where Mar- we need that's to where remember Mary those. and Martha converge. And yes. perfect. Do you get that? Like, you don't have yes. to be Mary or Martha in that case. You can be both at the same time, and there's no conflict because He's there. That's why He says to do everything as unto Him. Literally, there's so much like amazingness yeah. there. This is this is a topic we could explore for all of eternity, and I'm sure we will. And, you know, I'm excited because I think of every new thing that we're talking about here, we're all over the place and sort of we're not. Um, You know, the biggest takeaway is the wonderfulness that exists beyond what we have the power to do on our own. We have so much more at our fingertips and so much more power and so much more to experience through God than we can wrap our minds around. And whether it is miraculously finding time to write amazing books, as Lisa has done, or finding the time to do any number of things that we aspire to do while concurrently understanding that we are also to stop down in the moment and to enjoy our Lord and what we've been given to do for him, whether it is changing the diapers or fixing another meal. And let me tell you, that's the most difficult for me as having raised not quite, but eight kids and, you know, in a family of 10, I I don't want to make any more meals. You know, it's just really rough. I, but <laughs> But doing it over again and over again with the idea that Jesus is there with me and he's helping me is huge as it is with any anything that we do. And so that's what I think is so impactful about what you're doing now in sharing with our listeners. You can be anything that you want to be through Christ. You can do anything that you want to do through Christ as long as it's, you know, in partnership with him and for his glory. So there can be no limitations. And that's exciting. Yeah, and no matter the season, mm-hmm. no matter the season you're in, what is your next thought? Where are you going from here? Is this the last? This is the last of this season series. Yeah. But what else do you have in mind for the kingdom, Lisa? Well, so I, I wanted to some fun things. Uh, I, I definitely want to get these out on audiobook. I have not done that only because 
I personally do not claim any talent doing Scottish accents or New Zealand accents, <laughs> and I would slaughter them. So I definitely need to put some more thought and uh, and some and uh, be believing for the budget to make those come alive the way they should. I want to do them justice. So that is yeah. next on the agenda. Probably. I'm praying that now as you speak. I'm, thank you. you know, thank I'm you. I'm lifting that up and it's happening. Yeah. I heard a yes. I heard Definitely. a yes. I've had a lot of people yeah. ask who are just not readers, yeah. but they really want to experience the stories. And and I and people have said, these seem like movies. So, you know, in, in an yeah. audio book, I want I it to have more of that kind of feel. So I'm pursuing it from kind of that angle. And then here's a fun thing. My, my, one of my main characters is a chef and I'm constantly talking about food in these books. I don't know why. It's just how I am. <laughs> so I've actually gone through, my mom and I have gone through all three books and we've written down every time someone talks about food and I'm developing recipes of my own oh. and I'm going to put out a Time Tree Chronicles cookbook. Oh my goodness. You're so brilliant. So, I love that. I have already, I've already developed a, a brand new, nothing, no, nothing else li- like it out there, mince pie that's, that's actually Ooh. good and it doesn't have meat in it. And then from, and that's from book one. And then from book three, there's this really amazing lasagna. So I've, I've, I've perfected that after the fourth try. <laughs> and so now that's, those, <laughs> those two are done, but I, I've, I have like 20 more to go. So that sounds amazing. That'll probably be sometime this year. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds I'm really excited. good to me on the heels of my admonition that I can't stand to cook anymore. But, you know, maybe things will change. <laughs> and I then, just, of course, you know, yeah. uh, study guides, because I, I do have a group study guide for book one, but I don't have one for, one for book two or three yet. So I, I definitely need to do that as well. Just chapter by chapter discussion questions and things like that for book clubs and uh, families who want to go through it together, parents and kids together. I've, I've had a couple of people tell me that they've enjoyed reading these with their kind of middle grade or teenage kids and discussing the chapters. So want to make sure that we empower those family interactions as much as possible. So that's kind of where I'm going. That is, that's great. So, you know, when my kids were young, we had a reading time every afternoon at about three and we also had tea time. And so we would make our tea and we would get out the china and get out the scones. Of course, my son was less enthralled with all of that than my daughters were, but it was a great time. I mean, it was sort of as a homeschool mom, you know, what I what I just really pushed for every day. I couldn't wait to sit down in the chair and gather the kids around me. And usually they were on the couches nearby and we would have our reading time. We used the sunlight program and I thought it was great, but there were so many books in that program that just were lackluster. I mean, they had good messages, of course, but they just were very informative and less less entertaining. Your book would be the perfect thing for a homeschool classroom. Really, it would be the perfect thing to read in any setting where kids are involved. And as an adult, I enjoyed it. It it really is terrific. And I say it, I should be using this plurally instead of singularly because you have the three of them now, the Time Tree Chronicles, which are so good. And I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm so you. proud of you for doing such an amazing job and especially for giving all the credit where credit is due to the Lord who has led you and encouraged you. And I hope that you have been able, I know that you have been able today to encourage so many people that were listening and thought, you know what? I could do that. I don't have to be in a rush to do it in this moment in time, or I could do that. I just need to set aside some time for God to get it done or whatever, whatever the unique situation is. We are all buoyed by your story and what you've been able to accomplish Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. And I would just say for people listening, just 
two things. One, um, when you ask God for something big, believe that he, he's given it to you. And when, it, when he presents it to you in seed form, don't be discouraged by the size of it. Just look at what he's doing. And then the other thing I would say is just spend time in intimacy with him, because when you seek his face, then everything else falls into place. Yes. Amen. Very good advice. <laughs> All right. Well, Lisa Ray Morris, it's been a pleasure. Again, you are the author of the Time Tree Chronicles, which are available anywhere you can get books. Am I right? And do you have a website? I do. LisaRayMorris.com. Excellent. Check it out, people. I really can't say enough about this beautiful <laughs> person and her work. It really is terrific. Thanks again for joining us today. It's been such an honor to hang out with you. Oh, thanks. It's been so much fun. I need to have you back. Let's do it again. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Please continue to join us on Color Speak wherever you find your podcasts. This is J.M. Huxley for Truth Talk on Color Speak, celebrating relevance, restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons.